Hey guys, it's me, Judy, back on the old and the new again. Today, we're going to stay in classical ancient Greece, but we're going to talk about male homosexuality as perceived in our 21st century today. So, firstly, we must define what we mean by homosexuality. The dictionary defines homosexuality as the romantic or sexual relationship between members of the same biological sex. Notably, in ancient Greece, this sexual orientation does not connotate a social identity like it does in today's 21st century society. This, in ancient Greece, can be split into three categories. Firstly, the relationship between two females. Secondly, and thirdly, the relationship between two males, but split into the pederastic relationship between a man and an adolescent boy, and the non-pederastic between men or boys of similar age. Our discussion only concerns the latter two categories, surrounding which most debate has arisen among our modern-day Western contemporaries. So, what is the pederasty? The pederasty was a model in which a man established in society would pursue a pubescent young boy. The former has the opportunity to show off their masculinity, and the latter can gain knowledge, guidance and patronage from the older man in exchange. And this model leaves room for differing possibilities in terms of the nature of these relationships. It could either be a romantic one, or a sexual one, or anything in between. So, in summary, there have been several schools of thought in this debate. In the 19th century, those such as Oscar Wilde presented the ancient Greeks' homosexuality as asexual, pure, and encompassing of deep emotional bonds. However, notably, this was a time where the oppressed minority desperately sought inclusion and progression. So, arguably, this argument was perhaps not surprising, but not entirely an academic one. Later, in the 20th century, classical scholar Dover claimed that inherently the Greek homosexuality had at its ideological centre power. He believed that the playing of an active and a passive role were necessary and sufficient for the establishment of a relationship. Further, the dominant role and submissive role in sex corresponded to the superordinate and subordinate position of the participating two parties. The superordinate has seniority over the subordinate, like how the masculine has over the feminine, famously scientifically backed up by Aristotle a long time ago, and also much like the adult has over the adolescent for which the nature of penetration and phallic pleasure is much alike. Both the homosexual and the heterosexual are encompassed, and there is arguably little real conflict. This view is indeed adaptable when one is attempting to explain the prevalence of homosexuality in ancient Greece. However, on the nature of homosexual relationships, the theory is slightly flawed and it risks a fantastical generalisation 
which denies the existence of homosexuality in ancient Greece outside the pederastic model. And lastly, in Foucauldian thought, ancient Greek sexuality is philosophically dissected. By examining the classical society in situ, he argued that the ancient Greek view to sex was that of naturalness and necessity. So on this foundation, there was ambiguousness in their attitudes to any form of sexual deviance. And furthermore, arguably, the intellectual as well as sexual nature of the pederastic relationships that went on at the time helped itself enter into the domain of sexual austerity, which was a value that the ancient Greeks praised, rather than the sexual deviances. So, in our next episode, I will talk about the motivation for homosexuality in ancient Greece in its context, and I will also briefly outline the receipt of homosexuality in ancient Greece by the contemporary people. But that's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.